They're going to be playing with their hair on fire. Bob's going to have them ready to go. Welcome back to the Mainline Podcast. We've got uh, another big game coming up, I guess you could say. It's the bowl season, the Alamo Bowl. First time ever for the Sooners. I, I kind of say that sarcastically because, well, uh, bowl games don't really mean uh, what they used to. So, uh, Tyler, Corbin, full crew guys of guys here to uh, preview the pod. Like I mentioned, first time ever we've been in the Alamo Bowl. How are you guys feeling about this? I feel like I need to reach out to my UT uh, grad that are co-workers of mine uh just ask them for any recommendations for san antonio if they've got any places they've come accustomed to going uh it's unfamiliar territories for us uh but maybe they've got some insight for us so guys just off the bat are, are we excited about this at all like is there any like genuine like woohoo to for the alamo bowl i'm excited because of bob the fact that he's going to be back on the sidelines wearing the visor coaching this game i'm a little bit excited for that the outcome is absolutely meaningless i'm not taking anything away from it win or loss uh, it's a new team, a new regime starting next year. So I don't know. If anything, it, it's a nice opportunity for us to sit back as fans one final time and just kind of take in the the last OU football game for nine months. It, yeah, it's kind of, it's such a bummer that it doesn't really mean anything. And it, this is probably one of the first times where I've been like, I don't even know if I care if we win all that much. Just after everything that we went to uh, went through back when uh, Lincoln left, but. Um, I would have hoped that there would have been maybe more of a revenge factor going on with Oregon and how the 2006 game went and Bob's coaching. And he probably is still not happy about how all that went down, but uh, man, yeah, it just doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of juice there. And uh, it's kind of disappointing because I think San Antonio is a fun city to, to travel to for fans. I think the Alamo Dome is a pretty decent you know, stadium to be in. So right. um, it just used to be a little bit bigger of a game, but yeah, honestly, not, not very much interest going on here. I haven't been to San Antonio since I was probably six or seven years old. And the only thing I remember from that is we went to the Alamo and we went to SeaWorld and saw Shamu. So outside of that, probably that trip would be a little bit different now, now that we're all above the age of 21. But uh, no, you, you made a great point. Whether you're in, living in Stillwater or living in Austin, they are very familiar with that bowl venue. So at least we've got some uh, some good sources to reach out to. How would you guys measure Oregon's excitement? They kind of had an ending to the season. I think they lost two out of the last three, although to the same team in Utah. Um, they, they, you know, maybe they don't even want to travel across the country. They've got several key guys out. But do you guys sense that maybe their excitement level is higher or lower than where we are as a fan base? You talk about two teams that have had similar years in a lot of respects. Um, you know, both of these teams almost seem like a playoff lock early in the year, especially after Oregon went into Columbus and, you know, beat Ohio state. So, um, you know, going from, from that expectation to where both teams and both programs are at the moment. Uh, no, I don't expect to see a whole lot of uh, green or yellow or black or whatever color they decide to wear, um, you know, in the stadium, I think you'll see plenty of crimson and cream because it's in Texas. Um, but I, I think there's probably an equal level of like, eh, and the excitement level for both programs and their fans. Uh, I, I'm not really sure how much excitement level that, that there's going to be. Um, like you said, Corbin, these are two teams that went through pretty much the exact same situation in terms of both both head coaches um, leaving the program in kind of dramatic fashion. Um, it was kind of kind of shitty the way that both of them did it. But um, I mean, if anything, 
you would think that the players, because of the number of opt-outs and because of the changes in the coaching staffs, there would be a lot of young guys that would be excited to play in this game. They'll get some more meaningful reps. Uh, national TV, I think that that's the only game in that time slot, primetime, uh, next Wednesday night. So a lot of eyes are going to be on that one. And it'll be a good uniform game. I think, uh, if anything, we should get some bright colors. Talk about primetime. It's, uh, I think, a 9.15 p.m. kickoff for me. I'm, I'm on the East Coast for the holiday. And, uh, man, Loser. that's gonna that feels, that feels so late um, for a game. But... Um, but yeah, there, like you mentioned, Tyler, there are a ton of opt-outs already. Um, I think from the OU side, we know that uh, Perrion Winfrey's out, uh, Nick Benito's out, uh, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, Thomas is out, Brian Osamoa's out. Um, I think that's all for OU. We, I may have missed a few here and there. We're recording this a, a few days early just to make sure that we get it out to everybody uh, in time for mm-hmm. the, the preview. But um, Oregon, on the other hand, Kayvon Thibodeau, that seemed like that was a lock to be uh, an opt-out. And then uh, one of their their uh, top receivers is out as well. There may be a few others that I missed, but um, is it strange yeah. or maybe telling that only guys on the defensive side of the ball have opted out for OU? I mean, that's really the the only side of the football where there's any any resemblance of coaching that that's going to actually be in Norman going into 2022. So I, I don't know. I, I do think that it's it's nice that uh, that Tibbs and Kane and, and Odom are coming back. But just you know, when talking about some of the guys. Uh, that that did decide to either opt out or in the transfer portal. Obviously, that takes away from kind of the how fun the bowl season used to be, where people kind of took pride in the fact that we want to go win a bowl game. They see that as momentum going into next year. Now, if you're not in the playoff, and really New Year's Six bowls have kind of lost some steam as well. We've seen a significant number of opt outs uh, p- playing in all in all of those bowl games. But just like in Oklahoma, you're right; they're going to be without far, five starters in the lineup. Uh, against Oregon next Wednesday night. Benito, Thomas, Perrion Winfrey, Brian Osamoa uh, have announced their opt-in out of the bowl game. They're going to be preparing for the NFL draft. And Jaden Hazelwood, uh, starting receiver, he's no longer with the team. He's transferred to Arkansas. And then you look at Oregon. Oregon has seen five players uh, as well announce that they're not going to be playing in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, it starts with defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau, presumably the number one overall pick in the NFL draft coming up here. Um, their leading receiver, Devin Williams, and cornerback, Michael Wright, they're not going to suit up for the Ducks, and they too are going to turn their attention uh, towards the NFL draft. It is kind of interesting as well. They've got a couple more guys on the defensive side of the football that have chose, to, uh, chose that they're not going to be playing in the game as well. Cornerback DJ James, a starting corner, uh, and defensive lineman Jason Jones. Uh, they've both entered the transfer portal, so that's five key contributors for the Ducks uh, that they will not have against the Sooners next Wednesday night. So something to keep an eye on. It'll be interesting because I think the the strength of Oregon is probably the the run game. I'll be honest, I haven't necessarily watched them in too many games this year, but it seems like that's always been a consistent for them, especially with Anthony Brown at quarterback. Doesn't seem to be able to throw the ball overly well, not an elite level like we're used to, you know, having uh, seen it with an Oregon quarterback. Um, but yeah, so that'll be an interesting matchup. Can these young, um, highly touted freshmen, especially in the front seven? where we're losing a Winfrey and Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito. Can those guys step up, uh, you know, and take care of that run game? Because that that was a strength for the Sooners' defense on the year was the ability to stop the run. And it wasn't always perfect, but more times than not, that was a strength of the defense. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, with with those three guys in particular uh, and Osamo as well with those four guys in particular, excuse me, um, you know, can this young group step up and, and give us a glimpse of maybe some promising things that we'll see heading into next season? Yeah, just doing kind of a – go ahead, Adam. Yeah, that's what, exactly what I was going to ask you about is, you know, we talked about the guys that are all out. 
But uh, who's left for the Ducks that OU fans should really know about? Yeah, I typically um, do a little bit more prep work on an opponent, um, definitely during the regular season. But with it being the Alamo Bowl, these two teams, you know, who's going to be excited to be there? We're not really sure. Uh, but when kind of doing a quick dive into this Oregon offense, you're looking at a team that's put up over 31 points a game. That's what they average throughout the regular season. And like you said, Corbin, they put a huge emphasis on running the football. The Ducks have averaged over 200 yards a game all season long. That's going to be the key to this game for the OU defense, stopping the three-headed monster uh, of Brown, Die, and Cardwell. The guy taking the snap, Anthony Brown, we saw how well he played throughout the, the regular season. Kind of inconsistent at times, but we all remember that dominant performance when he played extremely well in Columbus. Not the most polished passer when, uh, when it comes to throwing the football, but he can make some plays with his arm. But guys, it's his legs and when he gets outside of the pocket that make him so dangerous as a quarterback. He's got nine rushing touchdowns on the season, averages around 50 yards a game or so. Uh, so if I'm if I'm Bob Stoops, the one word that I'm using between now and then in, my, in terms of the bowl prep, containment keep brown in front of you make him beat you as a passer uh and force him to hand the ball off to his running backs which it doesn't get any easier when you look at the the oregon running back position yes their starting running back did go down earlier this season against stanford that was a big loss for them but they've had two guys step up right behind him uh in travis die and, and byron cardwell um guys cardwell is, is a freshman he's averaged over seven yards a carry this season he's a well-built back great vision you go and watch some of his highlights he's a home run threat anytime he touches the ball if he stays healthy i think that that's the name to remember i think he has an opportunity to become the next great back uh up there in eugene and very similar to what it was like at ou with our front seven the number of opt-outs on defense the oregon wide receiver position is just depleted as it can possibly be the ducks number one over receiver devin williams he's opted out of the bowl game he's declared for the nfl draft oregon is already this year they've lost uh, they've lost two guys to injury johnny johnson jalen red they're out for the season due to injury and they're also without micah Pittman as he decided to leave the program and in the transfer portal so the wide receiver position this game for the for the ducks is going to feature a lot of new faces that oklahoma won't have very much tape on um, just going back and looking at the depth chart that, that Oregon released for this one, six of the receivers that are listed on the depth on the two deep, five of them are, are freshmen. So a lot of new faces, a lot of inexperience. And in terms of the offensive line, that's probably the most experienced group on this football team. Uh, it's a veteran group with four upperclassmen that have played a good amount of football together. So if OU wants to have any type of success in this game, it's got to start in the front seven with those new faces. Uh, for, for Brian Odom, who's going to be calling the defense with his group. Uh, it's going to be a big test for the new guys. Yeah, Adam, kicking it over to you. You know, looking at some of the, especially I think the front seven, we already hit on a little bit for this OU team, but just for the Sooners as a whole, you know, if you're looking for opportunities for which guys, you know, have an opportunity to really shine in a game like this, anybody in particular you got your eye on? Yeah, I think there's certainly a big opportunity for a guy like Reggie Grimes um, with Isaiah Thomas uh, opting out of this one. Can he uh, make his mark and kind of, you say, hey, this is my position. I'm locking it down going into next year. I'm the new guy um, at, at this uh, post. And so I think that's one. Um, also, I want to see if Eric Gray maybe can be utilized a little bit differently. Um, it, it pre pretty much anybody on the offense that uh, we felt like had maybe an underwhelming season, which I guess is technically everyone. Uh, but Marvin Mims, Eric Gray, um, you know, who of that group uh, could be, could, could we see something different with Kale Gundy calling the offense? Um, and then also um, from an outside receiver perspective, no Jaden Hazelwood. Um, so does someone else step up, maybe a younger guy, a freshman? Um, what could we see there? Tyler, speaking of the the OU side of the ball and the offense, um, what should we keep in that for for Oregon's defense? Yeah, I mean, not too much on Oregon's defense. Um, 
they gave up 25 points a game this season, but they really struggled towards the end of the year. Um, we got we guys all remember towards the end of November and then especially championship weekend, Utah put up 38 points on them in back-to-back games. So the opportunities are going to be there, uh, I think, for Caleb Williams and this OU rushing attack. Oregon's defense, they're not, they're not that stout. I think the one thing you'll notice is almost every play, they're two interior defensive linemen. They play with their hand in the dirt while the two guys on the edge are standing up in kind of a rush position every single play. So the fact that Kayvon Thibodeau isn't playing is huge for OU because I didn't see any way possible that Anton Harrison, Tyrese Robinson were going to be able to block this guy. Um, But Oregon, I will say this, Oregon won't be the most physical team that OU has played this year, not by a long shot. Um, But I do think that very typical of a really, really good Oregon team very, very athletic, a lot of speed, especially out on the perimeter. They're defensive backs. They've got pretty good size. One one name that OU fans, um, if they don't already know it, that, that they will, is Dante Manning, uh, the, the true freshman. A lot of people thought that he was going to be in Norman this year. Uh, but Utah ran for 399 yards in two games against Oregon to close out the season. So OU should be able to run the ball effectively if they play well. And like I said, Kennedy Brooks, we'll see what he does. Eric Gray, we'll see how uh, Gunny wants to utilize him. And uh, I, I would love to see Marcus Major tote the rock at least a little bit. I'm curious too, you know, from OU's secondary perspective, we just talked about Anthony Brown, uh, the Boston College transfer. That's uh, the Oregon QB. So anytime you transfer away from Boston College because you can't get playing time, basically means you're you're, you're not that great of a QB. Mm-hmm. And now he's got you know these young receivers that he's throwing to. So what does that secondary look like for OU? And specifically now that Alex Grinch is not returning. Does that nickelback position and that rotation possibly change? We saw a lot of Justin Broyles throughout the you know second half of the season, but does Bob Stoops come in, or maybe does he get uh, some uh, some word from Venables that maybe he wants to see some more Billy Bowman or some other younger guys that are going to be program guys going forward? Uh, whereas you got Justin Broyles uh, that's on his way out, so uh, I'm curious to see if we get some different rotations there. Well, it depends on who practices the best, Adam. I I think that's no longer in effect. Uh, but. I, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. And Corbin, throwing it over to you, one other guy that I'm kind of interested to see uh, is Clayton Smith. That, that's another guy that I'd like to see get some more steps. You know, Nick Benito opting out, Caleb Kelly uh, being injured his season and, and career over. We should see a heavy rotation of Marcus Stripling and, and Clayton Smith out there at that rush back position. So interested to see what we get out of number 20 uh, in the yeah, final but- game of the season. A guy who I have my eye on is Billy Bowman, right? Uh, I worry about that kid's confidence, right? He started off the year great, seemed really solid in that nickelback role, got shifted around and moved, and all of a sudden, you know, he looks not quite as good as we had hoped, uh, even if he had started, you know, the uh, at a, a normal freshman's pace, if you will. So, you know, will he get some significant playing time? Can he build up that uh, that confidence heading into the offseason, heading into next year to be another impactful player on this defense? That's going to be a guy who I've got, um, you know, my eye on in this game in specific, but and Tyler, you hit it on a little bit. So have you, Adam, but guys, let's touch base a little bit on how do we feel about some of this prior OU staff, new USC staff coming back uh, to, you know, coach this team in the bowl game. One thing is for sure without them, we're not playing in a bowl game, right? We don't have enough coaches to actually pull this game off. So it, it had to happen. Um, but for me, it seems like the guys who are coming back probably wanted to stay if I had to guess, and just the way their career played out, that was the smart move for them and their family. Um, but you guys agree with that? Or maybe you just wish we'd erase, wash our hands of everything USC related at the moment? 
We've definitely seen a lot of mixed emotions, especially on social media, about the you know the three former OU coaches returning to help out and uh, with, with the bowl prep and, and coach this game. Uh, I really don't get why people are upset about this. In fact, I love the fact that Calvin Thibodeau, Jamar Kane, and Brian Odom are coming back to coach this game. Guys, let's not forget, you know, the news of Lincoln Riley leaving for USC was news to these coaches just like it was to us. So, uh, you know, they were blindsided by it, and Lincoln put those coaches, you know, kind of in a really bad spot because now they're ha- they were having to scramble to try to figure out, is Lincoln going to take me to L.A. with him? Uh, if I don't go to USC, who's going to be the new head coach at Oklahoma? And whoever it is, is there a chance I'm going to be retained here in Norman? So those three guys had absolutely no idea. You can't fault them for, uh, you know, making that choice. And we all know that, you know, Venables decided he wanted to clean house on that side of the football. Clean slate, uh, a new approach to OU's defense. So the three of them decided to go to USC, but you've got to respect them wanting to come back and finish the year out with the guys that they both recruited and coached all season long. So mad respect to those three. I love it. All three of those guys, you know, exhausted pretty much every option to stay at OU. Um, So you can't fault them for that. Two out of three are former OU players. So um, I like having them come back. Um, It's kind of funny that Lincoln is, I guess he's totally okay with that, or maybe there's nothing he can do about it. Maybe he doesn't care about it, really. Maybe that's just a fan thing. But um, I mean, I I hope they all, you know, go off and have great careers uh, somewhere. I don't know if they'll be in LA for, uh, a long time they might bounce around but um, keep that door open keep that relationship healthy if for some reason we want them to come back at some point and uh, and continue to you know keep that relationship strong so that you know maybe it's not as a coach but we definitely want Thibodeau to come back and probably celebrate some Big 12 championship uh, reunions and things like that as uh, as the years go on yep I'm with you both on that one. I think we're and all we're same. we're in agreement, right? That all three of these guys are are in good standing with with Oklahoma, right? Especially with the fan base. Like there should be absolutely no ill will towards those three whatsoever, right? No. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Now, uh, a coach that is returning that uh, I think we're all super pumped about is Bob Stoops. Obviously, yep, yep. Tyler's doing the pinky, the Bob Stoops pinky that uh, makes pretty much a ninety degree angle uh, in some cases. But, well, they even uh, got it on the bobblehead too. I never noticed that. Yeah, they sure do. His pinky's fucked uh, up. Yep, yep. Now, my <laughs> I think uh, the the bobblehead that I have is pinky broke off because it was uh, so uh, so out there by itself. But uh, man, it, is, it feels good to have Bob back um, for this game. This is exciting for the fans. Uh, I think it's. I don't know if the players fully get it like the fans do, but I think they're excited about it. this. Is I think this is a bigger deal to them than if we had just thrown in and said, "Hey, Kale Gundy's your your interim." Uh, this is cool. This is like a legend, a guy that they pass by on the hallways and see his pictures, and they see him holding up that that crystal ball. Uh, that that means something that they can say, "Hey, this is a legend that walks through the door." And I, I that certainly has to help in a bowl game where motivation can mean pretty much everything. Yeah, revenge game, right? I mean got the chance to you know get the redemption against Oregon based on what happened up there in Eugene a few years back. Uh, I rewatched that video, a, a buddy of mine, he was like, I think I remember what happened. He's a big Georgia fan, so obviously not in the, the weeds like we are of OU sports. So I sent it to him. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. He's like, that's atrocious. One of the worst calls I've ever seen in my entire life. I was like, yeah, we know. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if there's anything to be excited about, it's it's watching maybe some of the young, the young guys. But really to see Bob go out again, you know, one last time, I think will be pretty unique. Um, hopefully he can get the get the W. It would kind of stink for him to, to go out on, on a loss after everything he's done for this program over the past couple months. Yeah, I mean, outside of watching Caleb Williams and the storylines that are kind of behind that, the fact that Bob is making a return to the sidelines, kind of a blast from the past. 
Um, seeing him back out there in the visor, that's going to be kind of cool. I mean, obviously, you know, our generation, the kind of the age group that we're in right now, Bob Stoops was all that we knew for the most part when it comes to college football. So seeing him back out there uh, kind of bring back some good memories. And the fact that he gets to coach his kid, I think that that's going to be kind of a cool moment for him as well. Uh, he, he alluded to that uh, in a press conference a few days ago, the fact that he can now coach Drake, uh, his son Isaac, which will be a, a, a kind of a – student assistant or maybe something he'll be on staff as well so having three stoops guys on the sideline is pretty cool the only thing outside of an oklahoma win that would make this just so sweet for bob i want to see bob meet somebody out at the hash coming off the field and chew their ass out all the way back to the bench let him go then 10 seconds later go back and find him again just the classic stoops disciplinary tactic discipline is not something that we've seen very much or taken quite as seriously over the last four to five years. So give me Bob chewing uh, somebody's ass coming off the field, and I'll I'll be happy camper. That's that's the complete Bob Stoops experience. The other thing that I would really want to see is Riverboat Bob uh, show up. We didn't see him much in the last uh, couple of years of of his uh, of his coaching career, but um, early on we saw it all the time: the fake field goals, the fake punts, all sorts of uh, fun stuff. Bob's coming Outside back. Kick it. He's he's got the beard. He's got the tequila. This is Riverboat Bob. We need some fake field goals. Sorry, Burkich. You're not going to get a chance, but um, I would love to see that. Let, Bob's got to let loose. I mean, he's got to feel loose uh, right now. He's got nothing to lose. There's there's no reason not to. So let's see Riverboat Bob. Yep. Just tequila in the Gatorade bottle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Just stumbling all over the sideline. Oh, that okay. would be great, though, because, I mean, heck, the game this afternoon, uh, you know, they, or I guess – when we're recording this last week, uh, you know, they, they poured a deal of uh, French fries on their coach when they won the bowl game. So deal with tequila. I, you might as well just go for it. Yeah, I agree. Now we, we touched, uh, I guess, touched a little bit on some players that we're expecting some, maybe some bigger opportunities for as we head into, you know, this Alamo bowl. Um, but maybe if we expanded that to a little bit bigger uh, kind of was a thought line here, you know, going into the 2022 season, uh, just looking back, since we just had, you know, at least the first signing day that passed recently on the on the upcoming class, going back to the 2021 class, a lot of guys on here. Some of them contributed more than others over the last, um, you know, this past season. But I um, kind of want to go around the board and give a little bit of a buy sell hold on on the, each player here. Not I guess not every player. So pick one for each category. Which one are you going to buy? You know, he's going to be a, a good fit. He's going to be a contributor sell, you know, which one is going to be maybe more of a bust or maybe a transfer risk. Um, and then one that maybe you're still not sure on maybe on the fence. So, um, Tyler, let's, uh, let's go with you first, uh, kick us off here. Uh, you, do you just want to do like the, the buys all of us give them and then let's we'll do it. Yeah. On. Okay. yeah. Let's do it that way. Um, buy for me. It's pretty, pretty cliche. Um, if there's any stock left to buy, uh, I'm, I'm buying Danny Stutzman stock. Um, especially given the fact that we've seen, uh, kind of the prototypical linebacker in a Clemson defense, the Ben Bullwares of the world, uh, which, again, is this statement white. I don't know. He's white linebacker in the middle of that defense. Danny Sussman, just a freak athletically. I think that he could be a big-time contributor uh, in BV's defense. So I'm buying all the Danny Sussman stock that is left. Um, expect him to have a bright future. Yeah, for me, obviously, the answer, uh, I had Stutzman on my list, Caleb Williams, I think, in, uh, in Levy's offense based on what we've seen so far. Down there at Ole Miss, I think this is a great fit. Uh, on top of that, maybe he can get a little more freedom to run the football, uh, knowing that we've got a 2022 quarterback that's signed and going to be on campus. We're not going to be thin at that position. Um, so hopefully Caleb can, one, stick around here in Norman, um, and two, you know, make an impact, uh, you know, heading forward. But, yeah, that's a, the, the buys are the, probably the easiest category here for me. 
I'll go a little bit off radar with mine. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Savion Bird. Um, he didn't play really much at all, um, but that's mm. pretty expected for a first-year offensive lineman. I still think there was a lot of good things that we heard um, from him throughout the season and the way he was progressing. And I think getting away from some of Lincoln Riley's run schemes will only help that. And I think there's a ton of opportunity for him to potentially take out there. You know, those tackle positions are, I think, pretty wide open going into the offseason. So it wouldn't surprise me if he necessarily overtook someone there. Um, I'll go ahead and kick us uh, back down the chain with our our cell. And for me, this is um, this one's tough because I don't want to be too down on any one player or another. Um, but I got to go with uh, NRK, and I guess he doesn't like that uh, nickname. So uh, Nathan Rollins, uh, who Kib- Nathan Rollins Kibonge, uh, if I'm saying that right, um, the uh, defensive end from uh, from Oregon, actually. And the reason I'm selling here is. He just wasn't able to make it on the field this year. Not necessarily a surprise, but anytime you've got a new defensive uh, strategy that's coming into play, you know those are the types of roles um, that could potentially see some changes that may or may not be favorable to them. And I'm not going to sit here and be you know armchair uh, coach knowing all the specifics of you know the four three versus the three four and the different techniques and things like that. But I just know that, that can affect a guy. So um, I'm. I'm I'm not as high on, on him at this point. I actually think a full offseason in Smitty's weight program is probably going to do him some good because uh, I want to say that's probably yeah. one of the reasons why he maybe didn't see the field quite as much is just due to his size. I know he's he's got a big frame, but you know there's a lot more to build on to it. On um, again, I'm with you, Adam. I don't I don't want to say these guys' names in the sense that I'm not believing they could become something. I'm just kind of kind of forced to kind of put some guys in this category. And I, I kind of had two. I had Cody Jackson as one. Uh, I know he had a few snaps this year. Um, the only thing that kind of gives me pause there on maybe a sell guy is the fact this receiver position could be pretty uh, pretty dicey moving forward. Not a whole lot of uh, depth in, in that role. So maybe he can pick up some deal there. The other one for me is, is Colin Montgomery. I just, you know, hadn't seen a whole lot from him uh, with the question marks at the, the offensive line position in particular you would think there would have been something that maybe would have come with giving him a chance and he didn't really see it. So again, not really saying these guys that I'm, I'm going to get rid of them or anything like that, just based on kind of some unknowns, I think is where I'd probably put him and why I'd probably put them in the kind of the cell category. Yeah. I, I had two in here um, in the cell category for me. Cole Montgomery was one. Um, we really didn't see anything from this year, which a lot of that is largely due in part to the fact that there were some upperclassmen playing both guard positions and especially at the tackle position as well. Uh, but when you look at it, I mean, <clears throat> Andrew Rames playing center, he's the he's the future of this program on that offensive line. Chris Murray, I think that people would expect him to return, so he's kind of got that right guard position sealed up. Marquise Hayes going to the NFL. I don't, I don't know if Cole Montgomery is a guy that you could realistically say um, he has a chance to slide into that left guard position, and if anything, I think he's probably going to get out-recruited. Um, obviously with Jake Taylor, Jacob Sexton coming in behind him, you would have to think that Levy's going to want to go out and get somebody out of the portal after the bowl games are over and the, the offensive alignment continue to flood the portal. Uh, and then another one for me, I don't know if it's too early to make a call on this guy, but Damon Harmon, um, simply because of the facts, kind of a smaller frame guy. Yes, he's tall, but he might weigh a buck 70, a buck 80 soaking wet. This is another instance where, is he going to get out recruited? Are there going to be guys that Venables brings in behind him in these classes are going to be much more talented and be able to contribute in a bigger way. So still the jury's out on these two. Again, it's one year they had upperclassmen in front of them, but those would just be kind of two that um, if I'm selling any stock that I had, then that might be a good one to dump. 
you got anybody that you're holding at this point? I think the rest for me are kind of all holds. I mean, they kind of just they're in this middle ground of mm-hmm. not ready to really buy, not really ready to sell. They're just kind of in this waiting ground, uh, maybe some more than others. But for the class as a whole, there's just a lot on Amazon here that I still believe they got a lot of potential. Um, but maybe to their doing or not, you know, we weren't able to see a whole lot coming from them this year. The, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, if I was to single out maybe one name, for me, it's Jaleel Farouk, simply because receivers are more fickle than pretty much any other position. And I think he had one catch, maybe two on the entire year. But he does have a big opportunity in this uh, in this game this week against Oregon to maybe fill in some of that uh, void that's left by Jaden Hazelwood. Um, so we always see one freshman or one younger guy that maybe kind of burst onto the scene in the bowl game that nobody really expected. Could it be Farouk? Um, you know, there's certainly some snaps available. Mm-hmm. When you talk about Bill- a guy who also could could be a, a good indicator of where Caleb Williams stands, the fact that we've heard nothing from J- Jaleel Farouk as far as mm-hmm. transfer portal, you would think that's probably a good sign. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not sure if this is a good guy to single out because, like you said, Corbin, there's a lot of guys that flash this season that you've got to be excited and optimistic about going into 2022. But I I chose Billy Bowman in terms of holding uh, just because I think that, one, he kind of got a raw deal this year. He was the starting nickelback. He earned that position. And then because of injuries and some other things that happened at the cornerback position, he was essentially asked to play out of position. And then you go up against Quentin Johnson in your first game nobody's going to look good in your first game against a guy like that. So uh, he kind of got a, a, an unfair deal. Um, you would expect the Broyles is going to come back. Pat Fields is gone. DTY, I'm really not sure. He did participate in the senior day ceremonies. But then also at the same time, too, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that you could see Billy Bowman make the switch back over to the offensive side of the football, especially with the lack of depth at the wide receiver position. That might be a guy that you could move back over there, especially when you've got guys like a Jaden Rowe 6'3", 220-pound speedster that can play that nickelback position in the secondary. And then even a guy um, like who showed up in the da- in the database last week, you know, Jaron Kinnick. That's a guy that can play all different positions, linebacker, anywhere in the secondary. Um, that could be a situation where you might see Billy Bowman, if Levy sees fit, we may, may want to move him back over there on offense and get him some touches that way. Potentially, um, but we'll see how he practices. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, well, last week we we talked about some of the non-playoff bowl games that uh, we were pretty excited about. So this week uh, we do need to cover the the playoff games there. Uh, Corbin, how are you feeling on those? Yeah, obviously no surprises here of who we are watching and compete for a national championship: Bama versus Cincinnati, Michigan State versus Georgia. Um, guys, just off the cuff, don't want to drag this out too long, but. Who do you have winning these two games? And I guess just for conversation point, who do you have winning the national championship? Uh, in the two semifinal games, uh, Alabama-Cincinnati, I'm not going to bet against Nick Saban in, in this one. And to me, really the more fun question is, is does Cincinnati cover the spread? Um, that's that's a lot of points. I think last time it was, what, around 17? I can't remember what, what it was when I saw it last, but I know it's by at least two scores. Um, th- this one's on ESPN right now. It's only 13 and a half. I'll take Alabama in that, but that that's kind of an interesting matchup as well, because Cincinnati, yes, they don't have the, they don't have the skill talent. They don't have the big boys up front to compete with Alabama, I think for four quarters, but Cincinnati probably has the best secondary in college football this year. And you give Desmond Ritter, Luke fickle, a one game take all scenario. Who knows? They might be able to put up a fight and, and, you know, make it competitive. So Michigan, Georgia is one where, I want to talk myself into picking Michigan. This kind of feels like a team of destiny. This this is going to get them all the way to the national championship game. 
I think that what Michigan does kind of plays into what Georgia's hands uh, plays into what Georgia's strengths are in terms of them being able to stop the stop the running game out physic uh, out physicaling you physicaling excuse me it's late night um, and honestly Bryce Young is not playing for Michigan and I don't see Michigan being able to throw the football as well as Alabama and Jamison Williams did so I but then again you got Stetson Bennett and I don't trust Stetson Bennett at all so if JT Daniels plays I don't know. I'm going to pick Bama versus Michigan for the national championship, but I don't feel good about picking against Georgia. Yeah. Um, I want to pick Michigan too, um, because you know, that's a a new, new face, but at the same time, it would almost drive me even more crazy that there's another new team that has made it to a championship game, or maybe even won a championship game before OU has done that. And OU's been there and failed, you know, to get to that championship game. And that's frustrating to see just another team that can get there off of one good year um, after OU's, you know, gotten so close. But um, I think we're all Bearcats fans. I think we all want that. But man, a month to prepare for for Cincinnati with those types of athletes on Alabama sidelines, I think that's going to be tough. So uh, I'll take Bama there. And then Michigan, Georgia is, is so interesting. Like you mentioned, Tyler, it does play into Georgia's hands a little bit better, but I think Michigan has a slight edge at quarterback and I think offensive prowess, I guess, so to speak, Georgia really didn't get stretched and have to actually do anything on offense until that sec championship game. And then when it mattered most, they couldn't do it. So that's concerning. Um, you'd like to think Michigan can get there. So I'll go for it. I'll take Michigan. And I, I do like Michigan's chances with a little bit less time for Nick Saban to prepare. But at the end of the day, as much as I hate it, I have to go with Bama again. And um, I hope I'm wrong, but man, it just feels like everything breaks their way. And that's what happens when you have so many five stars on your team. I think there is a world where Cincinnati beats Alabama. I really do. Um, this has not been the same Bama that we, we've we come to know over the past few years. We saw this team struggle multiple times this season. Bama wins. Uh, all that being said, Bama wins. Um, I, I do think you'll get you'll see the best Cincinnati team that we have seen. I think they'll come out with their hair on fire. I think they'll play really well. I, I, just, I just can't I can't see that. Even with Bama's struggles this year, I cannot see Cincinnati beating them. But if Bama doesn't come out and play well, Cincinnati can absolutely beat them if they play you know, the, the, the best they can. Um, again, I'm with you both. Michigan and Georgia is tough for me because everything in you wants to pick Michigan um, based on especially how we saw the, the two conference championship games go. But again, outside of Ohio State, any time that we've seen a Big Ten team come up against an SEC team and try to play the same type of physical football, it rarely works out for the Big Ten team. So I'm actually going to call this a rematch, Bama versus Georgia in the national championship game. For whatever reason, Georgia cannot get over the hump against Alabama. I don't think that stops. I, I think it's it's got to be a mentality mm-hmm. at, at this point. Um, so I'm going to say, as much as I hate to do it, I'm going to say, yeah, Bama over Georgia for the national championship. Well, I mean, it's interesting, too. I mean, Michigan, I think today they got named uh, the winner of the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in college football. They've got the two best defensive ends, the the best duo in college football, um, you know, led by Aiden Hutchinson. So it's it's going to be a fun challenge. Again, I don't know what to expect from Stetson Bennett, and you almost kind of have to wonder, too, are we undervaluing Georgia right now? They've been so good all season long. They ran into a buzzsaw. That is Alabama. Georgia's going to come out pissed off, play with their hair on fire as well. And then at the end of the day, Georgia has a little bit more talent, but I just don't know if I can get past the fact that it seems like we've talked about this with every Kirby Smart team at Georgia. 
He has so much talent on the field, yet it feels like in all these big games, he has the underwhelming quarterback. And quarterbacks in these moments win you these types of games. So um, is it? I think it's fair to say that Georgia probably has the fourth best quarterback out of all four of these teams. So I'm going to pick Alabama versus Michigan, and I'm going to pick Alabama to win it all. Adam? Yeah, I guess we're all in agreement there. We're all picking Bama. Yep, just a difference in who they're playing. Um, and if beers versus bets told us anything, I feel great not picking Michigan right now. So, um, yeah, still waiting on that trophy, Tyler. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to the OU Oregon game. Uh, consensus here, guys, from where we've been picking our bets all year long is giving the OU uh, team a four and a half point cushion to win this game. Guys, how are we feeling? Um, do you expect OU to cover? And what is your final, final score prediction of the year? I feel good. Uh, Bob Stoops being in place there. Um, you know, the whole way Lincoln Riley left. Yeah, it it's more motivating if fans were out there. I don't think the players feel the same way that we do as far as the abandonment necessarily. Um, they may feel some of it, but not nearly at the same scale that we do. But I think there's enough there that it will give them some motivation to go out and prove something, uh, whether it's for Lincoln, whether it's to play hard for Bob. Uh, maybe it's to, uh, you know, because of the excitement that they have for Venables and the interaction they've had with him so far. Um, I think there's enough there that um, can really spur this OU team to go out and play, play really well despite losing some different guys. And maybe just ha- naturally having Lincoln get out of the way of some things, as, as weird as that sounds, uh, you know, to say at this point when we would have never said that, you know, six, seven weeks ago. Um, maybe that can be a spark that they need. So um, I do have OU covering the four and a half. I've got OU 31, Oregon 20. Tyler? I I can't go against big game Bob. Um, He's kind of righted the ship for this program, stepping in the way that he's done, not just in recruiting, but also coaching this team um, in the wake of the bowl game. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Adam. I think that this is going to be a football team that's going to be highly motivated. Um, because of the way that their previous coach left them uh, in the fashion that he did so. So I think that this is going to be a pissed-off football team. They're going to be playing with their hair on fire. Bob's going to have them ready to go. Um, I, I think that Caleb Williams lights it up in, in, in this matchup. I think that this is going to be a fun one. The fact that OU has all five of their offensive linemen um, that are going to be playing in this one and uh, going up against a, an Oregon team that's going to be without Kayvon Thibodeau, without Jason Jones, their two best defensive linemen. Uh, I, I've got OU winning 38 to 22 21 38 21 a lot of points yeah guys just a lot of unknowns i mean you'd like to think that both you'd like to think both teams come fired out fired up uh to this game both teams lost their head coach maybe a chip on their shoulder you could also see neither team caring uh there who knows what's going to happen i've got no rhyme or reason to why i think ou is going to win but to me they they do cover the spread they do win 27 17 i think it's a bit more low scoring than either of you uh, had picked so still covering the spread but um, yeah just I'm not sure Oregon can score um, I've said that before and teams have put up a lot of points on us so we'll see if that reigns true but yeah I'm going to take the Sooners by 10. We'll have no legitimate reaction to this game right I mean in terms of our opinions on anybody unless the team goes off in a good way I think we could have some reaction but I mean even if they go out there and just get destroyed I, I'm not sure it would swing swing my opinion much on, on the yeah. season of the team. I think I would have more to say if they did get beat in dramatic fashion, but if it's a close game or if OU wins, then I think you know it's it's good momentum going into next season. But you really can't take too much away from it, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So, well, that'll do it for this evening for us. Um, our this is our last episode in uh, 2021. Our our next uh, 
next show will be in the new year. So we greatly appreciate everyone that's jumped on board uh, listening uh, this year to uh, our podcast. And if anyone was there from the year before as well, we appreciate you as well. All the new followers, all the new uh, Twitter uh, interactions that we have. Um, we're over a thousand Twitter followers. Like how crazy is that? So um, we're excited. We've we've got some new stuff that we've talked about. I'll just kind of leave it there and hint at that. But I think we've got some fun, exciting things that we'll potentially do in the off season, both on Twitter and on the podcast. So make sure to give us a follow there at the Mainline Pod. And uh, if you've enjoyed this pod, make sure to give us a, a five star review on Apple Podcasts. That uh, is greatly appreciated as well. So we will uh, see everyone here after the game on the next episode of Mainline Podcast.